Well, good afternoon or good morning, whatever it might be for you. And welcome to this session at the Global Missions Health Conference. We're going to be talking about caring for the whole person. Is this good medicine for both the patient and the professional? My name is Bob Mason, and for the last 25 years, I've had the privilege of equipping and training healthcare professionals and healthcare students in different parts of the world and across the United States in how they can better assess and address the spiritual needs of their patients in an ethical, compassionate, uh, patient-centered manner in the clinical setting. I work with an organization called the Medical Strategic Network. We are a partner ministry of CREW. I am on staff with CREW. Uh, Medical Strategic Network, or MSN, was founded by the late Dr. Young Chin. Young was a gastroenterologist. He was born in the Philippines. Uh, actually, Chinese uh, was his ethnicity. He did undergrad in the Philippines, and then he went to medical school in the Philippines as well. And as he was getting to the end of medical school, he and some of his Christian colleagues began to think out loud and realize that they were going to be spending 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week or more in the hospital and the clinics caring for the medical needs of their patients. And these Christ followers wanted to uh, be about uh, uh, helping accomplish and uh, the Great Commission. And so they started asking themselves, you know, by the time we get home and we'll be tired and everything, how are we ever going to be able to consistently and effectively engage in that uh, away from work? And God led them to begin to think about, well, maybe, maybe they're ministry venue and their place of ministry is at their workplace as they're connecting with patients. And so many of the things that we are talking about right now and we're going to be talking about were things that Young and his colleagues put together as um, uh, senior medical students. And this information has continued to be shared uh, worldwide and hopefully helpful to a lot of people, including you. I am married. Uh, my wife, Diana, and I uh, just celebrated last year our 30th wedding anniversary. We have two small children. Our daughter is named Alyssa. Our son is Jordan. And interesting thing about kids is if you give them a little bit of water uh, and some food every day, they will eventually grow up. And this was taken uh, recently at one of my favorite places on earth, uh, Coronado Island, which is across the bay from San Diego, California. Uh, we were down there for a day and sun was right and we got some really cool pictures. My uh, family, my kids, uh, Jordan and Alyssa are both married. Uh, Alyssa is working as a, uh, uh, actually at the moment, uh, for the last six moments, she has been working as a registered nurse in Southern California on a COVID unit, uh, uh, taking uh, direct care of COVID patients. Uh, my son and his wife, Jenny, are both on staff with CREW as well. They uh, serve at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. They actually have two children. We don't have a recent family picture of all of us together with all the kids, but uh, they have two children. And of course, Diana is my wife, and then I am on the far right. Let me tell you a quick story. April was taking care of a patient one night. Uh, she was at the hospital. Uh, the patient that she was dealing with was one of those very uh, intensive, uh, high-demand patients. April would be in the room. She would take care of the medical needs of the patient. She would leave, and then uh, probably with about 15, 20, 30 minutes, uh, her, her uh, pager would go off. She would be called back into the room again with the patient. She would go in take care of the medical needs, uh, uh, leave, and then be summoned back. This essentially went on all night long. Patient was uh, dealing with uh, some panic attacks, uh, insomnia, uh, maybe some other things, not anything really life-threatening. 
And finally, April was in the room. It's probably uh, wee hours of the morning. And uh, as she was wrapping up the medical care that she was giving to the patient, she began to ask what some peer-reviewed literature calls uh, spiritual history questions. What's your source of strength? What keeps you going? Has any of this been scary for you? And April asked these questions to try to to assess if there was a spiritual need there and then address that need. And sure enough, she recognized and and discovered that there were some spiritual needs. Uh, The patient recognized those needs and the patient had a desire to have those needs addressed in a very limited way. April didn't have a lot of time at that point, and she asked the patient, before I leave, would it be helpful to you if I took a minute and prayed for you? And the patient said, oh gosh, would you please? Well, right before April began to pray, she sensed that somebody walked into the room. She didn't really know who it was. She had eye contact with the patient. She didn't want to um, break that eye contact and turn around and And so uh, I suppose she went through a checklist. Is what I'm doing appropriate? Yes. Is it uh, helpful to the patient? Yes. Am I respecting patient autonomy? Yes. Has the patient recognized their need? Yes. Have they given me permission to address that need, et cetera, et cetera? Yes, yes, yes. And so, so she proceeded to pray just a very short, pastoral, simple prayer. And when she was done, the patient was profusely appreciative of what she had done. And um, uh, fast forward about 15 minutes. Within about 15 minutes, the patient was asleep, fast asleep for the first time all night long. April turned to leave the room back real time with April in the patient's room. And she saw that the person who had walked in the room was a charge nurse. And April's professional life may have just sort of flashed before her eyes and wasn't really sure what to do. And she just nodded at the charge nurse and charge nurse nodded back. And she, uh, she left and, um, and, and she went home. She's back at work uh, a little bit later. And um, she was working and felt a tap on her shoulder. And she turned around and it was that charge nurse. And charge nurse said, motion for her to come here. I want to talk to you. So she took April into a room, just the two of them, shut the door, turned to April and said, I saw what you did with that patient the other night. That spiritual prayer stuff. Now I'd like you to imagine right now that you're April and trying to figure out what do you think the nurse is going to say, the charge nurse, and, and what do you think would be April's response. Well, we'll come back to the story in a minute, but a little bit of perspective of where we're coming from. We're speaking at GMHC. This is a Christian conference, and so we're going to be coming from a Christian perspective. We're not here to force our views upon you, try to cram anything down your throat. You are intelligent, able to think critically. I just simply want to share some information with you that you can consider, evaluate, and at the end of the time listening to this podcast, you get to decide whether it would be helpful to you or you think it's, it's worthwhile. If not, then no big deal. Well, what do people think of this whole stuff of whole person care? Well, professional views, uh, there was a majority, of, that is 75% of survey physicians agreed that religion and spirituality is important to patients for coping, for giving them a positive state of mind. In terms of patients' practices and beliefs, 75% of Americans claim to pray regularly and or believe in the healing power of prayer. Surgical patients, 83% agreed or strongly agreed that surgeons should be aware of their patients' religiosity and spirituality. concurred that surgeons should take a spiritual history. And get this, 64% indicated that their trust in their surgeon would increase if they did so. Well, we're back in the room with April and the charge nurse. And April responded, I saw what you did last night with a yes. And then the patient, I mean, the charge nurse said, "Well, well, what was that? And where'd that come from? And April began to explain herself and and why she had done that and some of the evidence-based reasons for that. And then all of a sudden, the charge nurse said, how is it you knew 
that's what the patient needed. And April was a little stunned by that and tried to answer her question. And then the charge nurse interrupted her, but how is it you knew that's what the patient needed? And April again tried to explain herself and answer the question. And then the charge nurse interrupted her again and said, did you see what happened? And, patient, and April said, April said, uh, what, what are you talking about? And she said, before you started that prayer stuff, April, all of the patient's levels were elevated. And as soon as you started praying, everything dropped back down into normal range. How is it you knew that's what the patient needed? And April began to try to answer the question to which the charge nurse interrupted her one last time and said, would you be willing to train everybody on our unit to do whatever it was that you did with that patient? Does that surprise you that that would be the response? Well, teen preferences, most teens wanted their provider to ask them about their spiritual beliefs during some visits, especially when dealing with death, dying, or chronic illnesses. A friend of mine, uh, Dr. Harvey Elder, 1983, was working in a VA hospital in Southern California. He heard about this strange case that nobody knew what to do with. Nobody had seen it before. And he thought, you know, I ought to go by and take a look at this. I might not ever see this again. He was an infectious disease physician, and it was an infectious disease case. And so we walked in, 1983, walked into a male patient's room, and this patient had something that they were calling AIDS. And he had never seen that before, and he thought, well, that's interesting. Talked to the patient and then laughed and thought, huh, intriguing. I'll probably never see that again. Of course, you know that he did see it again. A few weeks later, he was awakened at about 3 o'clock in the morning, and he had this probing question in his mind, Harvey, if Jesus were an infectious disease physician in Southern California, what do you think he would be doing? And... He thought he'd probably, Jesus would probably be taking care of AIDS patients. And so that became Dr. Elder's calling. Dr. Elder learned not only how to treat and care for these people with this, this terrible disease. At that time, patients were dying. Few people had figured out what to do about that yet. Yet, Dr. Elder not only cared for their medical needs, but their emotional and spiritual needs. And he would pray with patients, and he would talk to them about faith. And he would even share the gospel with them when they wanted to hear that. And they were at that point in their spiritual journey. And, and, and he developed, Dr. Elder developed a reputation throughout Southern California, where within the gay men's community that patients would come drive 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 miles just to have this guy take care of him because of the compassionate manner in which he did that, which was ultimately motivated by that three o'clock encounter that he had with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what do patients think of this? Well, patients' uh, satisfaction, patients' said that those who had had discussions of religion and spiritual concerns were more likely to rate their care at the highest level, regardless of whether or not they said they had desired such a discussion. Well, well is, 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 is whole person care good medicine for patients? Well, there is increasing evidence to support the inclusion of spiritual factors as an important component in the assessment and treatment of pain. Well, again, is a good medicine for patients, religiousness is related to significantly less depressive symptoms, better quality of life, less cognitive impairment, and less perceived pain. And the Journal of Rehab Medicine says that clinicians should consider taking a spiritual history and ensuring that spiritual needs are addressed among older patients in rehab settings. Now this next slide blows me away. Two-year longitudinal study was done of hospitalized patients. And patients who were in the hospital and during that time wondered whether God had abandoned them, questioned God's love for them, decided that the devil made this happen, or they felt punished by God for their lack of devotion. Those patients, if they dealt with one of those questions, they faced a 16 to 28% higher mortality during a two-year period following hospital discharge. Friend of mine, Dr. Walt Laramore says, if you knew something that increased the likelihood of dying by 20%, would you intervene? 
Well, if you're my healthcare professional, I, I hope you would. Dr. David Levy, a uh, friend of mine, San Diego, uh, California, uh, practiced there for a number of years, uh, was sitting at a dental chair one day, and he had a cavity, and he was probably a little anxious about it, and the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, dentist was sneaking up on him with that syringe of uh, that sedative that would help him not feel the pain of the upcoming procedure. And, and Dr. Levy, David says, when it comes to injections, he thinks it is much better, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So with an attitude like that, probably anxiety, the dentist is Christ follower, wants to practice whole person care, senses that, says, Dr. Levy, before we proceed, would it help if I pray for you? Sure. Simple prayer. Did the feeling on his way home. David is driving and he's having this conversation with my, with, in his mind with God. So what did you think of the dentist? Yeah, good guy. What did you think of what he did in terms of taking care of your truth, your tooth? Good. You feeling better? Yeah. Well, well what did you think about him praying with you? Well, well that's nice. Well, well, was that good? Yeah, that was good. Well, well, why don't you do that with your patients? Well, gee, God, everybody knows that neurosurgeons don't pray with their patients. I mean, what would my patients think that I'm incompetent, that I'm scared about what's going to happen, that, 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 that I, I am not able to care for them. No, it's out of the question. Well, that conversation persisted and continued for several days and several weeks. And, 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 and Dr. Levy would actually wake up in the morning and sometimes he'd be on the way to the hospital and yeah, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll offer to pray with one of my patients. And then he'd be on his way home and I'll like, oh gosh, forgot. Well, one day he woke up and he, he, he said, I will not come home until I offer to pray with one of my patients. And so he, he went in and he had his victim picked out. It was a, uh, a lady that was in for a minor procedure. His plan was after, in the pre-op, after the charge nurse, or excuse me, the nurse had left, he would offer to pray. Well, he, he goes in, he sees his patient, the, char the nurse is there, her, her friend is there, the patient is there, and he does all the medical things he's supposed to do, and he, he waits for the nurse to leave, and the nurse won't leave. So finally, it's like, so everybody's looking at him like, why are you still here? So he leaves, he's at the nurse's station, like looking at charts, acting like he's returning pages or, or, or text or whatever, waiting for the nurse to leave. He sees the nurse to leave. He goes down the hall. He sees the anesthesiologist coming. He does an about face because there's no way he's going to do this in front of the anesthesiologist. Well, the anesthesiologist leaves. The nurse isn't there. He swoops into the room. He mutters something about, would it be helpful if I pray for you? And the, and the patient and her friend are like, yeah, oh, okay, sure. And he says a short prayer. And at the end of that prayer, both of these ladies have tears of appreciation, like flowing down their cheeks. And he Dr. Levy realizes he sort of created this emotional mess, and so he said he did what he always does when he creates the mess. He, he leaves and he lets the nurses clean it up. Well, afterwards, he has done the procedure, and the friend comes up to him and says, Dr. Levy, thank you, thank you, thank you. You have no idea how much that meant to not only my friend, but how much it meant to me as well. And he walked away from that thinking, you know, for a 20-second intervention, that was a pretty powerful response. And so that became something that he would do on a frequent basis. Actually wrote a book about his journey, spiritual journey, and his journey to doing whole person care called Gray Matter, A Neurosurgeon Discovers a Power of Prayer One Patient at a Time. I encourage you to get it. Well, what do other people think about whole person care? The Joint Commission, which, which accredits hospitals throughout the United States, says that the spirituality of patients should be respected, assessed, and attended to in ways that are important to them. Well, if whole person care is so great, why is it not being done? Or is it being done? And it seems like if you're anywhere it would be done, it would be with advanced cancer patients. Some friends of mine at Harvard did this study, and they surveyed 230 Patients with advanced cancer, and they found that 72% said their spiritual needs were minimally or not at all supported by the medical system. I personally think that's tragic. Well, what's the cost of whole person care not being done? Again, my friends at Harvard uh, did a study where end-of-life costs, they found end-of-life costs were higher when patients reported that their spiritual needs were inadequately supported. And there you see the numbers, overall minorities, high religious copers.
How do we suggest that whole person care be done? Well, I've mentioned the spiritual history. In front of you right now are some questions on our spiritual history that we've come up with. We borrowed from other spiritual history inventories. We've actually borrowed a couple of these from some of the questions that the Joint Commission recommends asking. And whole person care needs to be done with permission, with respect, and with sensitivity. We're not there to try to cram anything down our, their throats or, or accomplish our own agenda. But the agenda is on the patient in trying to find out if there is a spiritual need there and know how to address that spiritual need. Dr. Elder, I mentioned him earlier, became proficient in doing whole person care and helped us train others worldwide. And I saw him giving a lecture one time on whole person care and somebody asked him, they said, Dr. Elder, in all your years of doing whole person care, and he does it as well as anybody I know, I might add, in all your years of doing whole person care, have you ever had a negative outcome? And he thought for a minute and he said, you know, I, 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 I can recall three. And he said, each time that happened, I would try to go and talk it through with the patient. And the first one, when I talked to the patient, uh, we agreed that it was a misunderstanding and everything was fine. The second one, the patient actually apologized to me for the way that they had reacted. And I couldn't find the third patient. He went on to say, you know, I've had more negative responses using penicillin than I have whole person care. And then he made what I thought was an interesting and clever statement. He went on and he said, but you know what? I still use penicillin. Taking, good taking a spiritual history, is it good medicine for the prof professional? Well, caring about the patient is also what gives joy and fulfillment to the practice of medicine, and it's why many of you chose or are considering this profession. Southern Medical Journal continues by saying its absence, especially in this pressured healthcare environment, can rapidly lead to dissatisfaction, emotional exhaustion, and burnout. Practicing whole person medicine is the best kind of care, both for those who receive it and for those who give it. Spiritual history questions I put on the uh, uh, screen again for you. Uh, if you're with somebody, you might want to pause right now. And you might just want to sort of role play uh, taking a spiritual history. One of you can be the patient. The other can be um, uh, the uh, healthcare professional. And begin to get a little bit of practice asking these types of questions. Moving on, let's say that they, the patient is sort of somewhere in here. And they want to know how they can connect with God. Are you sense that that spiritual need, that spiritual interest is there? What you can do is you can just simply ask a question, which is going to, it's actually a diagnostic question. It's not a question that's designed to be manipulative so that you get to talk about what you want to talk about, but is truly patient-centered. And the patient is this. Many patients express a desire to know God better. Would you say that's true of you? And if a patient says yes, we'll talk about that in a minute. If they say no, hey, that, that's fine. You're not going to do a procedure, a medical procedure on a patient that doesn't want it or doesn't recognize the need for it. If the patient answers that question, yes, I, I would like to connect with God, you could maybe offer something like this. When patients tell me that they would like to know more about God, I'm sometimes able to take a few more minutes to explain how one can connect with God in a more meaningful way. We do that by reading through a four-point outline or going through an app or on a phone or drawing a picture on my hand or, or on the uh, uh, paper on the exam table. Uh, um, that explains from a biblical Christian perspective how one might have a more personal relationship with God. It takes 10 minutes, it takes five minutes, it takes three minutes, depending on how you plan to do this. So in those situations where there seems to be an interest, I've asked the first question, would it be helpful to you? Or, or, or not, would it be helpful, but uh, would, would you say that you'd like to know more about connecting with God? 
I've stated this to several patients. If a patient says yes, then I, there are a number of ways that you can go about sharing the gospel with the patient. There are all types of little booklets out there that have been used. The one on the left is uh, entitled, Would You Like to Know God Personally? A publication of Crew. Another one uh, that I've just recently come in, uh, been introduced to is uh, something called the Three Circles. And uh, there on the screen is a, uh, a link to a, um, uh, a YouTube video, a video that you can find on YouTube that has a nurse talking about how she actually was able to use this, this tool or this method with, with one of her patients. One of my favorite uh, is utilizing a great app that you can download for your phone. It's entitled God Tools. And we have uh, um, both um, 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 Apple and um, um, Android uh, versions available. So I would encourage you to find a manner in which you can share the gospel that is good, concise, biblical, and comfortable to you. Um, these are three great ways. You might have a way that uh, you prefer that's not up here. And that's certainly okay. Now, as I get into that conversation, only, <clears throat> excuse me, only with patient permission, as I get into that part of the conversation, I will, or before I start, I will tell them this. Now, now Mr. Smith, if you get tired uncomfortable or you want to stop the visit or this conversation at any time, please tell me. I can leave at any point that you want. And then not only will I state that before I get started in this part of the conversation and get started with the patient's permission, but a lot of times I will reiterate or reconfirm the patient's consent several times throughout the conversation. I might talk a little bit about, hey, God loves us. And after I talk maybe about a minute, minute and a half for, about that or whatever, I'll say, now, now, you doing okay? You want to keep going? And if they say yes, then fine. If they say no, then, hey, I understand. Yeah, being in the hospital or him to come in and, and, and into the clinic, it, that, that's tough. And then I might talk a little bit more and, again, reaffirm that consent, uh, that permission of the patient. Another option, depending on where they are on that continuum that we talked about earlier, um, I might, um, uh, if they're not ready to hear the gospel or I don't have time or something like that, I might say this before I leave. Would it be helpful to you if I prayed for you before I left? So these are just a couple of things that might be helpful to you in asking a spiritual history and so forth. Well, where do you go from here? Well, Chess wrote that interest in the relationship between spirituality, religion, and clinical care has increased in the last 15 years, but clinicians need more concrete guidance about this topic. And I, I so appreciate you taking time to, to join us today. And I so appreciate you taking time to listen. And if you feel like it would be beneficial to get a little bit more information a little bit more training. Medical Strategic Network offers a number of things, everything from on-site training and consulting. We do professional conferences several times a year. Uh, in the past, we've even done a little one-week thing for um, undergrad, uh, pre-med, pre-professional healthcare students or aspiring healthcare students. Probably one of the best things that we do uh, in, in the summer, uh, we didn't get to do it last summer because of COVID, but one of the best things that we do is a five-week summer preceptorship, and that is open to any healthcare student who has been, um, who uh, is either enrolled in or officially accepted into a professional healthcare training program. Um, we can facilitate uh, student elective rotations with different healthcare professionals around the country who do whole person care. And then the other thing that we're excited about, we've been doing this for several years, uh, we do a partnership with SIM where students, healthcare students, uh, uh, attend our whole person care preceptorship in California, Southern California, 
and then spend several weeks immediately afterwards working in some of the SIM hospitals, mission hospitals in Africa. So if any of those would be helpful to you or you're interested, our website is there uh, and you can check that out. Uh, like uh, most organizations uh, at this time um, in fall of uh, 2020, um, things are, we're sort of continuing to pivot and try to figure out the best way to go forward with, with COVID. So check our website uh, for updates on what we're offering and, and dates and things like that. And um, one last story. A um, friend of mine was walked into a room, worked up a patient, is an AIDS patient, and um, did all the medical stuff and, and asked, uh, um, uh, asked some spiritual history questions at the end of the visit and said, would it be helpful if I pray for you? And the patient said, ah, no thanks. Second visit, medical stuff, beginning to manage the case, uh, spiritual history questions, would it be helpful if I pray for you? Uh, no, thank you. Third visit, medical, case management, spiritual history questions. Would it be helpful if I pray for you before you leave? I don't believe in any of that stuff. No, thanks. So patient professional relationship continues. They're seeing each other frequently, managing the patient's AIDS uh, case. Three years later, patient is back for a periodic visit. Visit is over, patients gathering their things, doctor is on the way out the door and says, hey, can, doc, can, can, I, can I ask you a question? It's like, sure. It's like, you know, when, when I first started coming here, you took great care of me, and you would ask me these questions about how I was coping, what keeps me going, any stress, that type of thing, and, you, and then you'd offer to pray. And, and then, you just, you just stopped doing that. And I've been wondering, did, did, did you get in trouble for doing that? Or did somebody tell you not to do that? And, and the doctor said, no. You know, I, I just sensed that that was not an area of interest of you, for you, or it, you sensed that it would be helpful to you in any way, and I didn't want to harass you. So I stopped. And then the patient said, well, you know, I always thought that it was nice of you to ask. Doctor stood there for a minute, a few seconds, and looked at him and said, would, um, would it be helpful to you if I prayed for you today before you left? And the patient said, I think it would. And for short prayer, that opened up a new dimension of care and satisfaction in conversation that went into several subsequent visits. Thank you again for coming and joining with us. I don't totally know how this is going to work, but uh, if you're participating in GMHC in November 2020 uh, live, uh, I think there's going to be a Q&A time. I'd love to talk to you. Love to answer your questions. Love to hear your stories. Interact, dialogue. If you have pushback, um, love to hear that as well. So um, need to get in touch with me. Here is my contact information. And thank you for your time. I hope you have a great day. And if you're at the conference, I hope are participating in the conference virtually. I hope uh, this is a really, really great time for you. Take care. God bless.